feet for the reading of the scriptures today. This is from Galatians chapter 3. It says this starting in verse 23. It says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that, we, now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Amen. Grab a seat. Good morning, everyone. So happy to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is David, and I am so excited to be sharing from the scriptures today as we continue on this series. Let me explain why we do what we do the way we do where we're taking a closer look at some of the strange or potentially foreign practices we do as the church that in here we might understand, but outside those walls might seem like a whole nother world. Honestly, 95% of our city, 95% of our city today is not connected with or actively practicing in a Christ-centered faith community. And, and so the reason we're in this is because the people that are outside these walls really might not have any idea what's happening inside these walls. So we have to be ready to say, let me explain. And we've covered everything in this series from why we go to church every week to why we read the Bible to why we take communion and even why we value membership. Congratulations, new members. This is amazing. And so, um, yeah. And so if you missed any of the series so far, I encourage you to go back to YouTube or hit us up on the podcast on the website to catch up, because today we're moving on to one of the most essential practices of the Christian life of the church, and that is, drum roll, everyone, we're talking about baptism, baptism. So if you're taking notes today, we've got a lot to cover and not a lot of time, so let me explain why we get baptized. Let me explain baptism. Now, quick show of hands, who here has been baptized? Anyone? Wow! This is amazing. You don't even need this message today. I love it. I remember uh, my baptism. I was, I think, probably fourth, fifth grade. My dad was a pastor, and so I grew up in the church. Um, I grew up with a really positive experience of the church, with a really great experience of my dad in ministry, my mom and dad in ministry leading this church. Some people don't, but I had a great experience. And so um, culturally, it felt Right, and eventually it led to a spiritual commitment to Jesus, and I, I don't honestly remember when that moment of faith occurred. I just knew it is, you know? I don't, it was never this jump off of a cliff with Jesus moment. It was, it was more like I just, I grew in belief the more I belonged in a community, you know? So anyway, I, I grew up uh, seeing folks get baptized, and so one day I said, Mom, Dad, I'm ready to get baptized. And they said, okay, great. So a couple weeks later, um, the big old tub at church gets filled up. I got my shorts and my shirt on, and I make my way into the water. And, and it was a really beautiful moment. I know every hand in the air, you understand what I'm saying. It was a beautiful moment, one I'll never forget. But here's the deal. The deal is that even though I knew I wanted to do it and be there and, and go through this process, looking back, 
I'm confident that I didn't really understand all that was happening in the moment. I'm confident I didn't understand the full extent to what was happening. I, I knew it was the next step in that journey of faith. I knew that it's what Christians did. You know, you get in the tub and you get dunked according to our, our, church, our church background, but some of its importance and why and what comes next was still a little lost on me because baptism was the beginning. It was just the beginning of my journey of faith. It reminds me a little bit of, um, of getting married, actually. So June 11, 2011, 2011, June 18, Someone give me a pen. I gotta update this real quick. <laughs> oh, goodness. There's grace, though, babe, right? That's why I looked at you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think it was because it was 2011. Oh, goodness. So, June 18, 2011. <laughs> One of the most defining days of my life, obviously. <laughs> Hold on, let me start that over. Everyone just, uh, for real, June 18, friends, it was one of the most defining days of my life when Rebecca and I, we made it official. If you didn't know, if you don't know the story, Rebecca and I, we started dating October 4 of 2010. We got engaged January 30, 2011. 20, I looked it up yesterday. Apparently, I didn't look up all the dates, but... <laughs> Um, and we got married June 18. It was a quick one, honestly, from, from October to June, the whole, the whole thing. But listen, we just knew, right? I mean, we knew from the very beginning. October 4, I knew that I loved her and I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. I even said to her on the first day that we dated, I said, listen, I'm not going to date you unless, you unless you already think you might be able to marry me. I'm not going to date you unless you could see us getting married one day. And she said, let's go. She said, let's go. And so, I know it might sound weird, but even though we got married June 18, my heart was already hers on October 4, okay? And, and January 30, our engagement, that was when we committed to life together, honestly. June 18 was, was when we made it official, but we were already well past that line of decision. So back to the wedding, I remember standing there. I actually have a little clip for you from June 18. Why don't you hit that for me, Tessa? Come on, here we go. Woo! Check this out. Here we go. Ready? It is there it is. All right. All right. There we go. There we go. All right. We're good. We're good. We're good. Okay. So, I remember standing there, okay, knowing it was the right move. You know what I'm saying? I knew it was the right, I knew that I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life, and I knew that I already committed my, my future to her, but I was still in this moment where I turned around and went, Ugh. <laughs> I was still totally unaware of what might come next. I was totally unaware of what this moment truly meant and what it contained and where it would take us from there. Why? Because the wedding was just the beginning of our life together. Now, what am I getting at? In this life, 
We all stand at the threshold of moments, life-changing moments that tell a story and project a shift in who we are. Even though we don't always know the extent of that change or, or where the end of the story will take us, you know, from weddings to graduations, we've got some graduates, to birthdays, to adoptions, to citizenship, we've all experienced change that absolutely changed us, but often took years for us to really see the fruit of the difference. We've all been there in the mystery of these moments, which is why what we're covering today, baptism, is so important, because baptism is one of those often misunderstood moments of decision where the further you get from it, the greater the change from it should be. Just like standing on the altar confessing vows of love and devotion together, baptism is meant to be the beginning of your journey together with God into the great unknown of faith. And this is where we'll be parking for today. So again, let me explain baptism and why we do what we do the way we do. And I, and I know for some of you this, again, might seem elementary. We've got all the hands in the air. But what I found is the further you go down this road of faith with God, the more those first steps seem to matter. The longer you're together, the more significant those early key moments become the more you grow to appreciate them. And so even though this might be a bit elementary, stick with me, because what we're covering today should not only bring focus to our faith, but should also bring encouragement to keep on going. Amen? All right, so as we get started, um, I believe to truly understand baptism and why we do what we do the way we do, um, what we need to first understand another concept, and that concept is Covenant, And so could you all just say the word covenant with me for a moment? Covenant. When you say it, it sticks in here, okay? Covenant. One more time. Covenant. Good. And a covenant is defined simply as an agreement made between two or more parties. It's a promise or an agreement made between two or more parties. Now, why does this matter for baptism? Let me explain. All throughout the Bible, we see God making promises or covenants between himself and his people. From Adam to Abraham to Noah to Moses and even King David, God made covenants. He made these promises that he would be their God and they would be his people, that he would be faithful to them, but he also expects that they would be faithful to him. This is a covenant. And God, he, he obviously held up his end to the deal, but he also did so much to help them stay faithful and hold up their end of the deal too. God has done so much, starting in the scriptures with this thing called the law, and we heard about it in our opening scripture, Galatians 3. It was the law, or the law of Moses, often called the Ten Commandments. Paul tells us in Galatians that the law was their guardian. It was their protector, and, and it, it helped them by giving them clear instructions for what it meant to live right and to keep their promise to God to live in the covenant that was made. So God gave them the law, but he also gave them a sign that set them apart, a sign that set them apart and reminded of them of who they were to God and the covenant they made with one another. Does anyone know what the sign of the covenant was in the Old Testament? Oh, ho, ho, you're right, circumcision. What circumcision? Let me explain. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So anyway, God made a covenant with Israel and it was enforced and protected by the law but it was certified through a sign through circumcision, and it worked. 
and it worked for a while. But over time, it soon became obvious, especially as you read the, the Old Testament, that this covenant, it wasn't able to achieve its eternal purpose because Israel just couldn't live up to it. So God made a plan to take matters into his own hands, and he decided to send himself as Jesus to carry Israel's inability to remain faithful by being a perfect Israel, ultimately fulfilling the old covenant God made and ushering in a brand new promise. A brand new covenant, and we see it again in Galatians chapter three. Let me read it one more time. Paul writes this in the old covenant, starting this in verse 23. It says, before the way of faith, this is old covenant, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Verse 24. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. And this is where the new covenant kicks in. This is where Paul's getting at, starting in verse 26. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Say amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Where the old covenant, which was actually a gift to the world, by the way. Sometimes we look at it as like, oh man, we gotta do all this stuff. But the old covenant was a gift. God wanted relationship with us. God gave us all that we needed to do and be so we could live in close community with him. So the law was, was good. The old covenant, it was a gift. But, but it was kept by adhering to this law. But now because Jesus came and fulfilled the law, replacing the old with the new, good standing with God, this relationship, good standing with God is now found not in our ability to be good, but by faith in Christ's ability to be great. Verse 27, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is so good. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham who received the first real covenant. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Incredible, right? Incredible. And Paul, he expands on this new covenant, out with the old, in with the new, in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I told you, lots of Bible today. It'll be on the screen. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision by cutting away your sinful nature, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. There it is. And, when you, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Almost done. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he gave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them by public, publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And this is, friends, this is the foundation for covenant, old and new. God loves us, and God wanted to be in right relationship with us. So, old covenant. He said, I'll be your God, but you need to live right. And this mark of circumcision will be a sign and a reminder of my faithfulness to you and the faithfulness I require from you. This is old covenant. 
Now, when they couldn't get it right, Jesus came, lived right for them, for all of us. So now when we place our faith in him and live under his covering of righteousness, like putting on new clothes, when we come to Christ, new covenant, we experience a metaphorical, spiritual circumcision as he cuts away our sinful nature once and for all. By faith, Jesus canceled our record of wrongs and raised us to new life by the mighty power of God. And this is the backstory for covenant quickly. Now, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Let me explain. Back to baptism. So what is baptism? We're going to look at it quickly from two angles. And just, I need you to take all of that information about covenant, store it into that easily accessible container in your mind, because we're going to be pulling it from it in just a moment. So baptism from two angles. We're going to look at it from the literal and the practical. First, literally. At 30,000 feet looking down, as most of you already know, the physical act of baptism is essentially a person going into the water, going under the water, and then coming out of the water. Simple. It's an act, it's a concept that has been practiced now for thousands of years, both in and outside of the church, both in and outside of the story of Israel. In fact, this word baptism that we use, it, it comes from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo. And baptizo translates to mean to clean by dipping or submerging, to wash or to make clean with water. And this word baptizo was often used throughout the first century by people in the textile industry. Isn't that interesting? So when these folks needed some new fabric, they, uh, they would, uh, to dye it and to form it into different colors, they would take raw fibers and baptizo the material to clean it thoroughly first so it might emerge ready to take on new color. Cool. So this is the literal definition of baptism. It's the dipping, it's the submerging of someone or something into water. Now, bringing it down to earth, practically, what does it mean? Three things. Three things in the scripture we see that, that baptism is a ceremony, baptism is a story, and baptism is a sign. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Baptism is a ceremony, it's a story, and it's a sign, starting with ceremony. Baptism is a ceremony where someone goes into the water, goes under the water, and comes out. But why? But why? What does it mean? Why do we do it? Well, first of all, we do it and we practice this because Jesus told us to, okay? Now, through all of these weeks, that has been the first answer for why we do anything. Why do we go to church? Because Jesus said so. Why do we take communion? Because Jesus said so. Why are we reading the Bible? It's because Jesus said so. And in Matthew 28, we see where he gives this instruction for baptism. Shortly after he died on the cross and was risen to new life, he called his disciples and he said some parting instructions for what it means to live obedient. And it says this starting in verse 18. It said that Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there it is. Go and make disciples, 
and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what's called the Great Commission, or the Great Sending on Mission for God's people from here till heaven. Make disciples, baptize them. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Awesome. Why? Let me explain. So in the ancient world, uh, the literal practice of baptism was used to signify a number of things. It was used for cleansing. It was used for purification rituals. It was used by John the baptizer in Matthew chapter 3 as a sign of repentance and returning to God. But it was also used, and this is the instance today, it's also used as a means of public initiation. Public initiation. It's a ceremony declaring allegiance, submission to authority, and acknowledging identity. And this is what we see here in Matthew 28, where a person who wanted to follow a new teacher, for example, or a new rabbi, or, or to be welcomed into a new family, they would go through the ceremony of baptism as an initiation to say simply that things have changed. They do this initiation ceremony to say to the world that their heart and mind and everything about them is now different. Just like a wedding, right, where you stand before God and people and you declare this covenant that you have made together, a covenant that you've already made internally. October 4 and January 30, it's already been made internally, but now we want to make it official externally. June 18th, 2011. <laughs> it's a covenant that you've already made internally. Ceremony, initiation. But now you want to make it public, officially, externally. And, and this next part is really important. I need you to understand that the ceremony we're talking about of initiation, this baptism, isn't the act that saves you. Baptism isn't your moment of salvation. No, baptism is simply your first step of salvation into faith and obedience. Baptism is biblically meant to be the beginning of your faith journey. Baptism is the beginning, and what's so incredible is this moment. You don't have to have, in this moment, you don't have to have all of faith figured out. You don't have to have established yourself in, with everything in place and in your spiritual life. You don't have to know where this new life is going to take you next week or in, in two years or in 20 years. You just need to be willing to take the first step and then another and then another, come what may. When you believe in Jesus, you do not need to be ready. Because when you're born again, you're already in this new relationship with God. You just need to make it official. And this is why we get baptized in this public ceremony, just like a wedding, to tell the whole world that you're off the market, friends. To tell the whole world you're off the mark, to draw a clean line in the sand that says once you were dead, but now you are alive because of the saving power of Christ. And now, now, now you have a new authority and you belong to a brand new story. And this is why we get baptized, which brings us up to number two. The baptism is a ceremony, absolutely, but it's a ceremony that points to a story. It points to a story of new life. Baptism tells a story of God doing what only God can do as he brings new life from the depths of death and chaos. And what's cool is we actually see this story, the story we've been told, we see this 
where water is used as a threshold into a new life all throughout the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in Genesis chapter 1, when the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, new life emerged as God spoke. Or Noah, right, where the waters came down to purify the world, and then from the water, new life and new creation began. This is baptism. Then we get to the Exodus, Israel escaping their old life of slavery, and they baptizo through the Red Sea to pass through the waters into new life. And Joshua, one of my favorite stories, after walking 40 years, wandering with with Israel in the wilderness, um, they finally, they pass through the waters of the Jordan River to occupy the promised land, a new life for God's people and God's covenant. And this is the story we see carried through baptism. The old life is left in the water, and the new life of promise begins. This is the baptism story. Paul hits this home, and this is such a great passage in Romans 6. When he says this, he says, For we died and, we, and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Verse 5, Since we have been united with him in his death, we, all also, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Colossians 2, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Baptism tells a story of God doing what only he can do, bringing death to life. Baptism tells a story, it tells your story, believe it or not, of God's faithful affection directed toward his people so you might choose to live together in covenant relationship. Baptism tells the story of the gospel, the good news where Jesus came and died so you might be born again, so you might be welcomed into his family as adopted sons and daughters from here to eternity. Baptism tells the story of God's redemptive work and his new covenant with the world. New covenant. The ceremony, it points to a story. Your story. And that's why we get baptized. Because when we tell that story, and this is number three, almost done. When we tell that story, when we enter the waters of baptism and emerge, we come out something new. We emerge new, and something holy and mysterious, something sacramental happens in this moment. And this is that we become a sign. Baptism is a sign. A sign of what? Of the new covenant. Now you can grab that covenant language out of that little compartment in your mind, okay? We become a sign of the new covenant, where circumcision was once the defining characteristic for connection with God, now because of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Baptism is what marks you as God's property. Baptism reveals where you belong. Baptism is a sign of God's promise to you. And friends, I need you to understand, and and this is not me exaggerating, this covenant changes everything for the world. 
because this new sign of the covenant ultimately opens doors for anyone to join the family of God. It's no longer limited to blood, line, or bodies, or genealogy, or gender. Because the sign is no longer physical circumcision, it's a spiritual baptism. And that's what we saw in Galatians 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And this changed everything. Through the ceremony of baptism as new creation, we all become walking monuments of the saving work of Christ. So when the world sees us, they don't see the old because we announce the new. They don't see the old because we announce the new and the story that saved us. And friends, this is why we get baptized. It doesn't save us. It doesn't relegate us, nor is it the, the final act for when we finally feel ready. No, baptism is just the beginning. It's meant to be the first step we take of faith, and so all the world might know who we are now because of Jesus. Baptism, baptism is a sign just like a wedding. The ceremony, the story, the ring, all coming together to show a covenant between two parties. It's saying from here on out, the old is gone, the new has come. And this is what baptism is and what it does and why we get baptized. Now, okay, with all that said, as baptism is a huge part of the Christian life from covenant to ceremony, the reality is a lot of churches and families of churches choose to participate and practice baptism in a lot of different ways. I mean, our history here as a church is Baptist, and so baptism matters deeply to us. Our whole denomination was built around it. So why do we do what we do the way we do here in this house? Well, two, I'm going to talk through really just two things quickly, um, starting with the water. Where some church traditions baptize with sprinkling water on someone's head, um, we as a church, we choose to fill up a tub and have the person go completely underwater. Why? couple reasons. Let me explain. First, it's because this is how Jesus was baptized. This is the way he chose to be baptized, and so this is the way we baptize. And it's also the imagery we see in the scriptures of going deep into the metaphorical waters of death and chaos. It, it, it represents a grave that you, wel you welcome, and then you come up into new life being born again. And so this is what we do. It's the standard for how we practice. But I don't want our way to imply that every other baptism practice is wrong. For example, a number of years ago, um, we were uh, pastoring in, in Wisconsin, and one of the, there was a woman who wanted to be baptized that physically, because of um, a physical condition, could not be immersed in water. But she, she gave her life to Jesus, and she said, I need to be baptized. And so we did a little digging. So we're like, well, how do we do this? So we did a little research, and, uh, and we made an exception by following a practice that we discovered from the second century Middle East, where there was uh, an early church with early church fathers living in the desert that didn't have any water. 
So what are you going to do? So they recreated the baptism ceremony using a sheet of fabric. How fitting is that? So, they, so what we did is we sat her down, and we covered her with a sheet, which symbolized death, and we pulled it off of her to represent being born again. This wasn't our idea. This was almost 2,000 years old. And it was deeply meaningful for her and everyone present, and it achieved its ceremonial purpose. And so while we believe that Jesus modeled baptism on purpose with his own baptism, we also believe that it's the ceremony, that it's the story and the sign that matter most. Does that make sense? Now, practically, in the past as a church, we used to, we used this built-in baptismal. Was, has anyone been baptized behind this curtain? That's so cool. Look around. See the hands? So why are we doing it different now? Because currently we use a metal tank. Why? Well, let me explain. First, it's because of COVID. We, we had a bunch of folks that wanted to get baptized, and we weren't inside for services. And so we got this, this big metal tub, and we brought it down to our covered parking area, and we baptized know, eight people that day. We also like the flexibility, honestly, of having it in a tub where we can baptize wherever we want to baptize or even being able to travel with it. I mean, we aren't cemented into this practice. One day we might go back behind the curtain. One day we might go to Robert Thomas's pool. Where are you, Robert? Does that sound good? One day we might do a trip to Malibu and, and baptize on the beach. Praise the Lord, that would be amazing. But for now, this is just what we do and why we do what we do. Now, second, we practice what's called believer's baptism. If you remember our communion talk, we talked about open communion, right? This is, this is what's called believer's baptism. And after the past 40 minutes, it should be obvious why, but we believe that baptism is for people that have already made a faith commitment to Jesus. As soon as you believe, this is what the scriptures show, especially when you look at Acts chapter 2. As soon as you believe, decide to follow Jesus, scripture says the first step should be baptism. So that's what we practice. Now, it also determines, this, this practice of believer's baptism, it also determines our view of baptizing infants or babies. We don't, because we believe it requires, baptism requires personal faith. Now, this doesn't mean that we're critical towards churches that do. Not at all. It's just our conviction. And it's my, it's my conviction that I am just for the church. Anyone that lifts high the name of Jesus, Jesus, you reign above it all. I am with you and I am for you. And so if there is a church that, for example, does believe in infant baptism, I am not here to alienate them at all. I mean, there's some scriptures, especially Acts chapter 16, if you've read it, that says, that, that might be able to support that, that step, but our conviction as a church is that baptism is for believers. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean for those who were baptized as babies? What about them? Before they believed, but now they've given their life to Jesus. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe you know someone that was baptized as a baby, but now, like, faith is real for you. So what do we do? You get baptized as a believer. Thank your parents for wanting to raise you right. Honor your parents for wanting to create a covenant with God for you, but now it's up to you to step into the ceremony that tells your story and reveals a sign of the new covenant in you. And I know this might be tricky. I get that for sure. I know that that might be a, a hard thing when you hit Christmas with family and friends that see it differently, but this is what we believe and what we encourage. Baptism is a step of faith that says you aren't who you once were. 
And from here on out, you're with Jesus, and that's it. This is why we do what we do the way we do, because we believe that Jesus calls us to it. We believe it's an ordained, mysterious, holy moment of decision to grow deep and wide in connection, in covenant relationship with God. And project that promise, that update of identity, of who you are now out into the world that needs it most. So this is why we do what we do. And as we close, I, I know that's just a lot of information to take in. I, I, I recognize that. And so if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you. But as we close today, I just want to kind of simply put that ordinance before you one more time from Matthew chapter 28. And I just want to encourage you in two things. First, if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, let's do it. Not because you have to, but because it is you. And so let's make it official. Now, we have our next baptism scheduled for July. If you wanna do it tomorrow, we'll figure something out. Um, but if you've been on the fence or waiting to be ready, don't. You don't need to wait to be ready. It's just taking one step at a time into that ceremony that tells your story of where God met you what God has done in you and where God is leading you next. And so you can, practically, you can register for that online, you can request information online, call the church office, talk to me directly, whatever it takes. Let's just get it on the calendar. And so, again, first, if you haven't been baptized, let's make it happen, because God doesn't seem to think this is negotiable for his people. Um, second, if you have already been baptized, um, just take a minute, even now as we close, to remember that moment in the water trying to picture my fifth grade self walking down into those steps, you know, the shirt kind of sticking to you a little too tight. Try to, try to remember the moment, the covenant that you've made with God and the work that he's done to bring you into new life. Just take a second. Picture that moment and the commitment you made before God and then Picture that moment where you stepped into a ceremony that told your story of redemption and now you exist and you live as a sign for all the world to know. Now let us continue to live as people of the covenant revealed through baptism. Romans 6, just as we close, says this, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Let us be a church that continues to live the newness of life. After all, baptism is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. So let us be a church that lives in the newness of new life. I want to pray for you as we close, and then we're going to hit the road. Again, if you have any questions, thoughts, you need prayer, come on down after service. I'd love to get to know you better. But until then, let's just pray. God, we are so grateful um, that you are a God of promises, that you are a God that loves us and loved us enough to make a covenant with us even when we can't live up to our end of the deal. God, we are so grateful that you love us and that you've invited us into this initiation into your way, into your family, into your house. So God, in this moment, I ask that if someone here is still on the, on the line or on the fence with faith, God, we ask that you would just spur them into to decision, spur them into a, a moment of decision, God, even now, 
that they might come out the other side of this service new, honestly, God, that, that, you, would, that you would carry them down into the depths of, of the grave and that they would emerge this morning born again in your name, God. We ask that even now, if there's someone on the fence of faith, God, we ask that you would just speak to them and that in their heart and in their mind, they would make a conscious decision to live for you. It's not, it's not a, a magic prayer. It's not some document you fill out, God. We know that it's just a heart decision to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is king. So God, if there's anyone in the room today that needs to make that decision, I just ask that you would do that now. To believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is king. And if you, if you have made that decision but you haven't been baptized, today is the day to make that decision. So God, I ask that you would just impress hard on us as a community for anyone that's in the house that has not made that decision or stepped into that ceremony yet. Let today be the day of decision. And finally, God, if there's anyone here that has been baptized, I saw a lot of hands, God. Praise the Lord for that. Because, God, that means that we have a church filled with people that are initiated into your way, that are ready to share your story and live as signs for the world. And so, God, we ask that you would just give us the courage to be that sign. God, that you'd remind us of the new covenant that you have initiated for us. And God, that we would emerge from this house today different and remembering all the work that you have done on our behalf. So Jesus, we acknowledge today that none of this is about us. Everything is about you, and yet you love us enough to make it about us too. And so God, we ask that you would just speak to us and lead us and challenge us and convict us and remind us of your covenant love. So Jesus, is in your name that we pray the name that is above all names, that reigns above it all. And we all said, amen. amen.